Hello, Skeleton Nation. Trace Blackmore here. And as you've noticed, I have started the show off a little bit differently today. This is a special episode because we are all experiencing the COVID-19 crisis together. And I wanted to bring you some information that I hoped would help. And I want to start out with the information that helped me start to get through all the things that we're having to deal with. I know everybody's life has changed and we're trying to figure out for those of us that are working, how we can do it safely, how we can do it responsibly. For those of us that own a business, we're trying to think how do we keep our employees safe while we're trying to keep our customers safe? How do we keep our companies going in this very uncertain time. Well, an organization named BOMA reached out to me and they heard some of the things that I was doing, not only with this podcast, but with the mastermind group and other groups that I'm a member of. And they asked me if I would do a webinar with them. And I jumped at the chance. Uh, I went ahead and I spoke on pretty much the experience that I went through. And then I thought it was all said and done. I hoped I helped one or two people. But then I started receiving all of these emails thanking me for sharing my perspective, for helping them, you know, relate to somebody else's going through the same thing that they are going through. So that's what I did. I'm not going to do the entire presentation for you. Um, I think that's recorded somewhere. I'll see if I can find that and I'll put a link on my show notes page if BOMA recorded it. But I wanted to start out with, I think one of the reasons that this has hit us just so incredibly hard, well, it's a change of our day-to-day. We've never experienced anything like this. And we're just having to all learn together. Put on top of that, we were experiencing probably one of the best economies that we have ever experienced in history. And to go from that to what we're experiencing now, you know, what we're experiencing now is hard enough. But to see all the economic changes that are taking place yeah, I mean, it's just it's just shocking. Well, you know, you can look at Delta stock and see how much that has changed based on all of this. So whether you're looking at your portfolio, which I don't advise you do. Uh, and by the way, you know, if, if tuna fish was on sale in the grocery store, you and you normally bought one can a week, but now it was buy one, get one, you'd probably buy two cans. So Don't look at the value of your portfolio, but maybe look at this as if you do have some cash, talk to an advisor, it might be a time to buy on sale. I've talked to so many people that are so upset about what their portfolios look like. Folks, that is a number on a piece of paper until you act on it. And of course, what I mean on that is if you sell it, now it's a real loss. We're in this for the long term. Now, for those people that only have, um, you know, less than five years to recover, by all means, speak to a financial advisor and figure out what the best choice for you is. And I recommend that everybody do that. 
now more than ever, don't make knee-jerk reactions because, again, paper losses then become actual losses. But I started out talking about Delta stock. If you look at what Delta stock was trading back in January versus now, I mean, it is just stunning. I think the last time that I flew was when I went out to San Diego for the Association of Water Technologies training, and that was a full flight. In fact, they were offering compensation for people that would give up their seat because they oversold it. Folks, that is not an issue today. They're canceling flights and flights are flying with one and two passengers on them. Very, very different times. And of course, if you look at the news, uh, the news is really taking advantage because so many people are watching the news. And why are they watching the news? Because, you know, they, there's all this shock value. And uh, some, some are more responsible than others. But folks, I'm going to recommend, you know, watch as little news as you can. Make sure you stay informed. But the news is using so much sensationalism I'll tell you what it actually did to me. It really drove me into, I don't think I was, I was depressed, but I was definitely getting there because I was very aware of all of the things that I could not control. And that's where a lot of us stay. And it was right about that time when uh, my wife and I attend a church called North Point Church, uh, and, and they have several different Atlanta area churches. So the one that we attend is uh, called Gwinnett Church, but it's part of that North Point series. Anyway, we've always had an online version of going to church. Uh, my wife and I have just never taken advantage of it. We've always gone to church. Well, we don't have that option now. If we want to go to church, it is in our family room and we are streaming it. So we were very fortunate where that was already worked out with our church, so there weren't any glitches with that. But it was Sunday morning. I was thinking about all the things that I couldn't control, all the pressures that I'm under as a uh, leader of several groups, as a leader in business, and a leader at home with my family. And now I've got to figure out what I can do. And, and, and you can't do much in this situation, or at least if you focus on the things that are in front of you, it seems like you can't do much. And I was struggling through this and we listened to a message and our pastor, our main pastor over all the campuses, his name is Andy Stanley. And he came on the screen and he started talking about COVID-19. And he said, 10 years from now, when COVID-19 is a story that we are telling, hey, 10 years ago, we lived through this and this is what happened. He said, is what you're doing now going to make that a story worth telling? And folks, he said it a lot better than I just said it. But when he said that, that almost crystallized that I wasn't looking at the right things to borrow from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. There's a circle of influence and there is a circle of concern. Well, as far as the circle of concern goes, those are things that concern us, but we can't necessarily do anything about it. The circle of influence are things that we definitely have impact over and we 
can influence action and change. And, and it was right there when he was saying that, when he was telling that story, giving us that challenge, I was thinking, you know what? My issue is I am working in the circle of concern and I need to focus on the circle of influence. And after that message was over, I guess it was maybe one or two hours, I was posting something on Facebook and I happened to notice that one of my friends posted something as well. And it just went further to help with that message. And it was a graphic and it said, who do I want to be during COVID-19? And it had three different zones. It had a fear zone, which I think is where we all start out in. And that's where I was before I started this endeavor. And this is how do I take care of myself and, and people that are directly around me? And you're, you're just really focused inwardly. The next zone is learning. You know, we've got so much to learn about this disease, but we also have a lot to learn with how we go about a life during a pandemic. And we're learning more and more every day. Well, the next zone is the growth zone. And the growth zone is where you're taking your knowledge, you're taking your experiences, and you are helping others through their experiences. And it was right then and there that I started thinking again about the message that Andy Stanley challenged us with. And I said, you know what, when we get through COVID-19, I want to be known for somebody who was there to help others. And that was my goal. And there's no secret Everybody out there knows that I do the five-minute journal. I know a lot of you out there do the five-minute journal because you heard about it here on the podcast. Folks, um, if you go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash journal, you can get it through Amazon. Uh, I make a little commission on that, but it's just a very easy way for you to click uh, a single link and find it. Uh, it's not going to cost you anymore to, to do it that, but the, the reason I mention that is not so I can sell journals. The reason I mention that is now more than ever, we need to make sure that we are taking account of all of the positive things that we have in our lives. Because trust me, by default, we don't go there, or at least I didn't go there. So I had the five-minute journal in front of me, and I had already done the daily morning routine. And for those of you that don't know, there's a there are three questions you ask in the morning and answer, and then there's two questions you answer before bed. So I had already done that in the morning, and I wrote down there um, basically a, a short-term statement that I wanted to gauge what I was doing. And the statement was this, doing what we've always done may help ourselves through this storm, but we must do more in order to help others. And I look at that every day and I think about how am I going to do more to help others? And then I came in and I shared that message with my team. Now, granted, some were virtual, but I shared that experience with them. And now they started having a similar mindset. And now our company has that similar mindset. And we want to make sure 
that we're not just helping ourselves, but we're helping everybody that's a stakeholder within the company, and that includes vendors, customers, you name it, but we have a common goal that we're doing. As you all know, I host a group called the Rising Tide Mastermind. And folks, I have to tell you that that group has just been fantastic for me personally, even though that I am leading it, we've been able to discuss with each other how we're all handling this pandemic and we're learning from each other's experiences. We're getting ideas from each other's experiences and things that worked or didn't work, we now can take the benefit of that. It has just been fantastic. So with that, you know, we've learned a whole bunch from each other that we've instituted here in the company. But then I've also put on through the Rising Tide Mastermind different webinars. And I know several of you out there in the Scaling Up Nation have logged on to some of the live webinars that we've been putting on. But I've, I've come to realize that webinars uh, can be a disruption during the day because you have to watch them at a particular moment in time. So what I've done is we've put all of those webinars on our website and it is uh, scalinguph2o.com forward slash webinar and it will take you straight to that page and you can see all the past webinars that we've done. We've had an expert on human resources. We've had an expert on crisis communication. We've had an expert on finance. Uh, a CFO letting us know what we need to do, uh, what numbers we need to look at in our businesses and territories. And we've had a sales expert come on to allow us to know what we should be focusing on sales-wise during a pandemic. Now, that was just a start. What I'm trying to do is bring information each and every week so as we do more webinars, I'm going to update that page so you'll be able to see that. So if you just want to tune in on a weekly basis to that page, you will see new webinars posted there. So that's what I've been doing to try to do the statement of what can I do over and above what I normally do with the podcast. Uh, of course, with the mastermind, that's where that original idea came with uh, to give everybody in the mastermind more information from experts. But I didn't want to just hold that close to the mastermind. So that's why I'm sharing all that information with everybody out there in the Scaling Up Nation. Now, something we do do that is specific, that's exclusive to the mastermind, is after those webinars are over... The mastermind group then convenes into a private Zoom uh, room. That's, that's a weird term, but I think everybody's saying that now. And then they're able to ask their own questions to the expert. Uh, something else that I've been doing is uh, local businesses around the Atlanta area. I've been coaching them, for lack of a better word. To, uh, I'm sad to say that several of my friends that own small businesses, they've gone out of business. Um, and then others, their businesses are completely shut down and they don't know if they're ever going to be able to recover from this. 
Well, what, what I've tried to do is um, I've tried to help them all understand what their previous numbers have told them and then to use their previous numbers to figure out what decisions they could make today that could allow their business to last longer, to endure this storm. And one of the calculations that I have them all do is their, their burn rate. So we all have so much cash on hand. And folks, this if you don't own a business, this is the same thing for your home finances as well. You know, we start at a particular date and time, maybe a month, and we say, okay, well, how long does our cash last for a month? Or, or how much cash do we go through in a month? And then we look at all the different expenses that we have during that month. And from that information, we can then say, well, what if we eliminate or reduce this? And now we can rerun that burn rate and say, okay, well, that takes us an additional two months down the road that we didn't have before. Now, now more than ever, our creditors understand that we're having issues paying for things. And uh, so by all means, you know, we can call them and we can work something out. Sometimes you could just go online, you can click a button and you can defer payments. Now, keep in mind, you're still going to have to pay interest on that. But a lot of companies are deferring their late, they're not showing late charges and they're allowing you to defer payments without any extra charge. Well, I, I hope some of those things that I mentioned helped you feel that you are not alone. And uh, again, my statement that I look at when I get out of bed each and every morning is doing what we've always done may help ourselves through this storm, but we must do more to help others. And the goal that I have in mind, we talked about the 12-week year a couple of weeks ago, and having that goal in your head and having it all mapped out or, or having a vision allows you to map it out. The vision that I have is 10 years from now, when I'm telling somebody the story about how I went through COVID-19, how our company went through COVID-19, how the podcast went through COVID-19, the mastermind group, all of the different groups that I am associated with, I want to make sure that that is a story worth telling. Well, folks, I know that was a lot for an introduction. I told you that this was going to be a little different of a show. Well, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to share with you one of the individuals that I have so much respect for. His name is Tim Fulton. He's my business coach. I've known Tim, I don't know if it's been eight years or 10 years. I've known Tim for quite a while. And uh, I think I've mentioned before, Tim just has this ability to, he gives you advice by asking you a question. And then based on what your own experiences are, what you know you should be doing, that question now allows you to act on it. And that's his superpower. Well, his secondary superpower is he just knows business better than anybody that I have ever met. So I've asked him to come on and share with us five things that we should all be doing when it comes to business. Now, for those of you out there that do not own a business, I truly think that you can learn things from the interview that I am doing with Tim. 
So with that, you can also share that with your business owners. And I think the more we understand what our owners are going through, the more we understand what our employees are going through, the more that we can share with each other, the better that we are all going to get through this. So folks, uh, I'm going to play for you now. The it's been it's on Zoom, so you'll notice there's a little audio change. But Tim and I did a webinar together that's releasing this week, and I am sharing it with you here on the Scaling Up Nation. So here is that interview. Today's webinar is brought to you by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The Rising Tide Mastermind is a group of individuals that get together regularly to help each other not only with issues but to help each other get further faster in all areas of life. Whether you join our group or another group, now more than ever, everybody needs a group of trusted advisors. The Rising Tide Mastermind is putting on this proactive webinar series so we can focus on the things that we can do and not just worried about the things that we can't. Our presenter today is Tim Fulton, president of Small Business Matters, Vistage Chair Emeritus and Speaker, and my business coach. Welcome, Tim. <laughs> thank you, Trace. It's great to be with you. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the five ways to effectively navigate our businesses through this crisis. Yeah, and uh, uh, again, great to be with you this afternoon. And this has really been... Uh, you know, intentional on my part as I talk to a lot of business owners the last couple of weeks, many of them are really struggling, trying to find the right path, the right uh, strategy to survive this crisis and hopefully come out on the other side. And so um, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, what we're able to talk about today will be helpful uh, for your listeners uh, to, that they too may survive this crisis. Yeah, totally unknown territory. We've, nobody's ever done this before. Yeah. So we appreciate you sharing what you've learned with, with your clients. So what's the best way to get started? So I've, uh, I've come up with, I think, five ways that small business owners, operators can uh, work their way through, navigate their way through this crisis. So why don't we we'll just, we'll start with, with number one. Trace, the first thing is being willing to make uh, quick change, to be willing to pivot uh, quicker than I think most business owners are accustomed to. And, and I think it's so important today. I, you know, I was reminded of one of my favorite books this week. It's a book called Bounce, you may recall, written by, Kevin, by Keith McFarland. He studied companies that took a hard hit it, under whatever circumstance. And why was it that some businesses survived some did not survive, some actually came out stronger. And in fact, it's interesting, and you've probably heard this metaphor before, he said, all companies are designed in one of three ways. He said, they're either a, a Christmas ornament, a orange, or a Super Bowl. I thought, that's interesting. <laughs> Christmas ornament, orange, Super Bowl. He said, think of it, if I drop a Christmas ornament from about, let's say, six feet, what happens to that Christmas ornament? It's gonna shatter. It just shatters, right? Unusable from that point on, it's a mess. Some small businesses, when they find themselves in the middle of a crisis, they, they too implode, they too, uh, they, they don't survive, unfortunately. And we're seeing, 
the statistic that I've seen, and this is, is, is a, a mind blower for me, that already about 25% of all small businesses have closed up due to the, the crisis. 25%, think about that number. The second is the, is the orange. If I drop the orange, the orange hits the ground, splatters a little bit, but it's still serviceable. I could still use its juice. I could still slice it up and take a bite out of it. It's still serviceable. So some small businesses are going to come out of this crisis. They're, they're not going to be the same as they were before. They're, they're, they're going to be weaker than they were before, but they'll still be able to exist some. The third is the Super Bowl. Well, picture if I've, I've got a Super Bowl about six feet off the ground and I drop it, that thing hits the ground and then bounces up even higher than when I started with it. Some small businesses, according to McFarland, is when they go through a crisis like this, if they're organized properly, they not only survive, but they excel on the backside of the crisis. Now, wouldn't you and I love to be one of those businesses? Well, when he studied these companies, what he found was these, these Super Bowl companies, they were highly resilient companies, meaning you know they could take a hard hit and keep going. And one of the things that caused them to be so resilient was their willingness to make changes almost on the fly. And, and Trace, the changes I'm talking about could be a, 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 a product change. We've been selling this product, and now we're gonna sell this product. A change in markets, we've been selling Domestic, we're going international. I've been selling to uh, no, private companies. I'm now going to sell to the federal government. I was talking to one of my clients just this morning, and that's what she said. She says, you know, our business has been historically split between small companies and government business. She said, we're shifting towards government business because we think they're going to be around at the end of this. We don't know that about, you know, small businesses. So being willing to change products, change markets, change design of the company, change the way the companies operate. If I had suggested to you, Trace, two months ago that the majority of all businesses were going to be operating remotely, what would you have said? I would have thought you were nuts. You would have. You would have thought I would, you would have shut this thing down. You said, oh, he's a crazy <laughs> man. Look where we are. Look how right. companies are operating today. They've, they've, they've been forced to change their operation. And what I'm suggesting is rather than being forced, rather than being pushed into this, these resilient companies opt, they choose, they elect to make changes. And now's a great time to make changes because in the middle of this crisis, people are more willing to go with a change than they were before. You know, think about in typical times, if you say, hey, we're going to change this, we're going to change that, your employees are going to say, trace. Have you lost your mind? Why would right. we change what we're selling? We've been doing this forever. But in the middle of a crisis, people are more willing to go along with, with a significant change. So that's number one is we, we've got to be willing to call, call an audible where it's appropriate, make changes on the fly. Very important. Tim, I can't help but wonder, are there some things that we really have to hold true to and not change during this time? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a great question. And I, th I think the one thing that I would want um, businesses to hang on to more than anything else is their, is their culture, is their values. Because to me, those are things, um, crisis or not, we've got to hang on to what we believe in. 
what makes us strong because it's our values that determine our culture. It's the culture that creates the stickiness, not only internally for our employees, but externally for our customers. So those values I don't think are gonna change, don't need to change, and I think we need to hang on to those as tightly as possible. Yeah, I can really see with our team, you know, we try to put culture above everything else. And now more than ever, that's what you need. And when you're trying to figure out what do you change, what do you not, that will at least allow you the, the wherewithal to figure out what the right answers are, or as best as those answers can be during this time. Yeah, yeah. So that's number one. We've got to be quick to pivot, quick to make changes. Number two is, and I'm sure your listeners have, have heard this uh, ad nauseum probably, the importance of hoarding cash. Yes. Cash is so important in a, in a crisis like this for two reasons. One is, as a small business, if I run out of cash, it's game over. I cease to operate the moment I run out of cash. So uh, solvency for a small business is really important because unlike a big business that can go to the, the bank or can go to capital markets to raise money, small business, I'm not able to do that. So I've got to have cash. I cannot run out of cash. Second reason for this is when we come out of this, and we will, I want each of your listeners to be a buyer and not a seller. Hmm. And to be a buyer, you have to have cash. And what do I mean by buyer? As we come out of this, there are going to be extraordinary opportunities for small businesses, opportunities to purchase inventory, opportunities to purchase uh, capital goods, opportunities to hire really good talent. And all of those require cash. And so if I've got a, a stockpile of cash in six months or eight months or 12 months, I'm going to be able to utilize that cash to accelerate the growth of my business. But I've got to have the cash to be able to do that. And there are a couple just suggestions, if I may, when, around this idea of cash that I think are really important. Number one is collections. If, if, if small businesses are not already experiencing this, <clears throat> they will with, within the next week or so, that your clients are going to slow down payments mm -hmm. because there's some guy like me or you telling them <laughs> to slow down their right. payment. So we've got to have the right collection efforts in, in place to make sure that we've got, we've got cash coming in. So if anything, if, if possible, we want to accelerate collections. We also, uh, we want to take advantage of any uh, loan opportunities. You and I were talking earlier about the, the PPP uh, loan program mm -hmm. from the SBA. If, if we qualify for that, and if you've not already applied for that, or the emergency funds, I would also suggest going to your local bank, and if you don't already have a line of credit from your bank, look to secure a line of credit. If you have a line of credit, look to expand your line of credit. Again, you want to have access to as much cash as, as, as possible. So, Tim, how willing are the banks right now to extend lines of credit and open up new ones? Well, I, I think in the environment that we're in, it's, gonna, it's not going to be easy because there's going to be a lot of pressure on banks to, to be very careful about any type of loan that's not backed by the federal government, like the SBA loans. But I think if you've got good receivables, if you've got quality assets, inventory, whatever it might be, to support that loan, to support that line of credit. The banks, they still have to make money. And they, they don't make money off your deposit or my deposit. They make money from loaning money. They make you know that margin of two or four points on a loan, and that's, that's how banks make money. 
So they still have to loan money. They're going to be more careful, more diligent. They still have to loan money. And I think I interrupted a thought with, with my question, so I apologize for that. Uh, Trace, number three, the third thing is, and I've been having a lot of conversations about uh, this one this week with my clients, is, is about our people. So the question I'm getting is, Tim, should I, should I be laying people off? Should I be putting people on the bench? And if I do, how do I cut payroll? Payroll is 50% or more of my, my expenses. How do, I, how do I cut payroll? And so now more than ever, really important that you've got the right people on the bus. You remember Jim Collins saying this in, in his book, Good to Great, right people on the bus, wrong people off the bus. So good time to evaluate your people and decide, okay, as we head into this crisis and work our way through, who do I want on this team? And if, if, if there's someone that I'm not sure about, someone who's in question, someone who maybe is underperforming, someone who's not aligned with our values and hasn't been, now might be the time to allow that person to, to exit our, our company. So what I've been suggesting to my clients is a three-step process as it relates to your people. The first step is, is to evaluate your people and decide who stays and who doesn't. That's number one. Somebody, if you've got dead wood, you, you remember the term dead wood from the, the Welch grid that we use. Dead wood is underperformer and unaligned with our values. All dead wood should be removed for a small company. So once we've done that, step number two is then to look at trying to reduce payroll. And this idea comes from Patrick Linsoni. You're familiar with the author, mm -hmm. Patrick Linsoni. And what he suggests is to ask for voluntary pay cuts voluntary pay cuts. Go to your employees and say, hey, we've got to cut 10%. We've got to cut 15%. I'd like to start with voluntary pay cuts and see which of any of your employees would be willing to do that. It sounds kind of crazy. Like who would raise their hand and say, yeah, I'll take a 10% pay cut. But what Lencioni uh, suggested was that you'd be surprised that if you've got people who really believe in what you're doing and they want to support the cause within your company, he said, you'd be surprised how many people will voluntarily raise their hand knowing that maybe this person can't and this per person certainly can't, but I can. So I'll take, I'll take a short-term hit if that'll help the team. So step number two is a voluntary pay cut. Who's willing to do that? Third step is then involuntary pay cuts. And again, the amounts could be 5%, 10%, 15%. And it starts with the owner. The owner's got to be the first one to say, I'm in. You know, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to, to take the cut. What I don't believe in is, is the idea that everyone is equal in terms of the employees within a company. And that's why I start with, okay, who do we need to have exit from the company? Because when we get to the pay cuts, at that point, we're pretty much assuming that everyone else who's left here is of almost equal contributor to the company. And at that point, then we look at across the board pay cuts. Not an easy thing to do, Not but for all. some companies, that's, that's been their salvation. Tim, would you say if there's an employee that doesn't quite make the mark and you've held on to them a little bit longer, that now, I mean, you suggested now's the best time to get rid of them or, or to free them, I should say, to find something that, that they can enjoy. But with all the government programs that are out there and as easy as it is for them to get those is it now more than ever almost the polite thing to do for them? I, I, I agree with you. I think it is. 
the the unemployment now uh, compensation for those that are unemployed is is as good as it'll ever get. So if anything, they're in a better position uh, that way. And you know, Trace, more than likely, if they're not producing for your company, if they're not happy working for your company, it's a lose-lose. It's not good for you. It's not good for them as an employee. So why not give them the opportunity to go out and find something that will be a, a, a better fit? And what the, the science suggests that over 50% of the time, that individual will find a better job somewhere else, just not with your company. You made reference to the Welch grid, and I know we've used that for years. You introduced me to that. You mentioned Deadwood. Do you mind going over the other quadrants? Sure. So this was Jack Welch when he was at GE back in the early 1990s. They were looking for a way to evaluate their people, and they decided there were two criteria that were most important. The first was a, an employee's performance. Are they doing what we expect them to do? The second was their behavior. Are they aligned with our values? Are they aligned with our corporate culture? So using those two, looking at job performance on the horizontal or the x-axis and alignment and, and behavior on the vertical, the y-axis, we then can plot our employees onto this, this matrix. The upper right-hand quadrant, superstars, above average performance, above average behavior. The, we love those employees. Bottom right-hand quadrant, above average performance, below average behavior. Those are those employees that they're, they're doing their job, but they're driving everybody crazy, right, within the company. Sometimes, you know, I hear about salespeople, right? They're, they're hitting their sales quota, but uh, they're driving people in, in operations crazy. They're driving the CEO of the company crazy, and yet we're afraid to let go of them because they're performing. Well, the reality is we tend to overlook what the impact of that bad behavior is, not only internally, but externally as well. So my advice is if you're going to start making cuts, start with the, I'm sorry, the upper left-hand quadrant. Let me finish that and I'll come back. Upper left-hand quadrant, um, below average performance, above average behavior. We call those, those are our cheerleaders. We, we love those employees. They're loyal to us. They believe in what we believe in. And yet, for whatever reason, and it may be a circumstance of the, of the crisis itself, we're not getting quite the performance that we expect. The bottom left-hand quadrant, the one we've already referenced, below average performance, below average behavior, that's our dead wood. So when we start to make, look to make cuts, we start with the dead wood. This is my belief. We start with the dead wood. Second is I would go to the terrorists. Because even though we're losing some performance, I've never, ever, ever had a CEO tell me they regretted cutting a terrorist lo loose. And normally yeah. everybody else says, what took you so long? Exactly. Employees are high-fiving, right? They're saying thank you. And the performance part almost always comes back, whether it's we, we replace the person. Sometimes what I find is we let that terrorist go and the team rallies. The team comes together and says, man, Trace, thank you for letting that guy go. We're going to come together, and we know that we took a hit on sales. We took a hit here. We're going to make sure that that's as little of little damage as possible. So uh, Deadwood first, then I look to the terrorists, and I begin eliminating the, the, the terrorists. I want to hang on to the cheerleaders, if at all possible, because 70% of the cheerleaders 
are capable of becoming superstars. They get the right training, the right equipment, the right um, resources. 70% of the cheerleaders at some point are capable of coming back to being superstars. So I'm gonna hang on to those folks as much as possible. And then the superstars, well, that's an easy one. We've gotta hang on to our superstars. Tim, what advice do you have for a CEO listening that has to have that conversation with their employees about cutting their payroll? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. And, and it almost leads to something that I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just give a hint. My, my number four is over communicate. Hmm. And, and, and hitched closely to that is transparency. I think where we are today, more so than ever before, it's important for leaders to be transparent, to be willing to show all their cards and say, okay, here are our financials, here's my bank account, here's my budget, here's my cash flow, this is what we're looking at, and as a result of this picture, here are the decisions that I've made. And whether it's, it's, it's cutting back on personnel, it's cutting back on certain expenses, um, cutting back on office space, but I think it starts with having a very frank conversation with our employees, full transparency. Here's where we are. This is the situation that we're in. I'm reminded by an article that you shared with me uh, out of Inc. Magazine, I think, when uh, it was around the 2007 crash. And they had gone by and interviewed employees. And they said, if you knew the company was in as bad of a situation as they really were, would you have changed what you did? And overwhelmingly, people said, yeah, I would have turned off lights. I would have done whatever to make sure the company would have survived. But those companies didn't share any of that information. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, that's the humanness in us, that we don't want our employees maybe to know how bad a situation this is. We feel like, you know, maybe they'll, they'll leave us, they'll go someplace else, or they won't, you know, go buy the house or the car that they had planned. So we, we keep that information, you know, tight to us. And yet the reality is, particularly in a situation that we're in, I think full transparency is, is the best path. And, and so what I'm suggesting to my clients, again, it's over-communicate. Over-communicate with your employees over-communicate with your customers, over-communicate with your strategic partners on a regular basis, whether it's emails, it's texts, it's picking up the phone, letting them know that here's where we are, here's our plan, we're executing the plan, here's what I need from you, what, how can I support you? But over-communicating. Over I think it was Pat Lencioni that said uh, you have to communicate something seven times before somebody hears it the first time. Yeah. 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 I, I've heard that in a number like when, if I share with you my vision, my mission, whatever, if you're an employee on average seven times before it begins to resonate up here. Wow. Tim said something about, you know, becoming the biggest, the best, the fastest. Uh, and, and with some, it may be more in, you know, in, in this crazy situation we find ourselves in, it may take 14 times before mm -hmm. someone really gets the message. That actually tees up my next question. You know, if we were communicating a message here and everybody was in the office, we would have posters and a campaign. Nobody's in the office seeing that right now. So yeah. how do you communicate that message virtually? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and one that I've heard frequently, I'm a big fan of what we refer to as daily huddles. 
and, and I know you, you all practice this, the daily huddle is a meeting that happens every single workday. It's a short meeting, 10 minutes plus or minus, when the entire team, and for some companies, this would be the entire you know, employee population, larger companies, it would be departments, it'd be uh, local offices, but the idea is the whole team comes together for 10 minutes, let's say, and it's, it's just a sharing of information. So the typical agenda for a daily huddle might be, what did you work on yesterday? What are you working on today? Where do you need help? And so if there were eight of us here in the, in the lobby of our office, I would start with you, Trace, and I'd say, Trace, what'd you work on yesterday? What are you working on today? What do you need help with? And then we'd go to the next person, the next person, the next person. So in a matter, again, of eight to 10 minutes, everyone has had a chance to share what they're working on and where they need help. And at some point, maybe you say, hey, I need help trying to fix this widget. And somebody raises their hand and say, Trace, I got you on this one. After this meeting, let's get together. We'll figure that out. So there's no discussion during the team meeting. It's strictly a sharing of information. But when, when done right, and, and, and it takes time to, to create a rhythm with these daily huddles, but when done right, what I hear from people is just amazing in terms of the openness and the communication that, and the flow of communication that's taking place amongst employees. Because you think about it, if we don't have these daily meetings, and let's say there are eight employees, so instead of one meeting, now there'll be, if my math is right, 164 meetings, right? Between each person, right. 164 meetings. How much time is being consumed by those 164 meetings that can all be done in 10 minutes in the daily huddle? So I'm a big fan of the daily huddle. It's a great way to kind of kick off the day, get everybody on the same page. I think that's a good starting point. That's great advice. So number four again was communicate or over communicate. Over communicate, full transparency. And then number five, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a marketing guy. I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about marketing. And, and my message here is very simple. Don't stop marketing. Hmm. It's so easy when we get into a, a, a recession, a down in, in the economy, a crisis, small businesses for whatever reason, and they're looking to cut costs in many cases, and they're looking at their P&L statement, and they see, wow, marketing, we're spending X amount on marketing. We'll just hit the pause button on marketing just for the time being, for the time. Who needs marketing, right, in down economy? And I think that's very unfortunate because um, in some cases, marketing is, we should be amplifying our marketing during a downturn. And I say that for a couple different reasons. One is if you think about it in a, in a strong economy, who's doing marketing? Everybody, everybody's doing marketing because they've got, they've got cash. They're, they're, they're here they want to get here. So everybody's investing in marketing in a, in a good economy. So there's a lot of noise, right? Everybody's talking, everybody's talking, everybody's marketing. Well, what about in a down economy? How many people are really marketing in a down economy? The sad answer is, again, many small businesses stop marketing. So there's a lot less noise in, in, in the downside of an economy, less chatter. Well, I don't know about you. If I want to try to get a message across to my market, I would much rather do it in a quieter time than in a really noisy time. So that's one reason I think that 
We want to make sure that we continue our marketing efforts in a down economy. The second is that the, the cost of marketing in a down economy is, is oftentimes far less than in a good economy. If you want to run a campaign, if you want to run an ad, I can almost guarantee you, let's take a newspaper as an example, the cost of newspaper ads today, all-time low. TV ads, all-time low, just because of where we are. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the right type of marketing, but what I am suggesting is just the cost of marketing on a per-ad basis lower now than you'll see in a long time which means the potential for your return on investment, because that's what we look for in marketing, is what is your return on investment, could be higher than what you've ever had in, in, a, in a good economy. So I don't want you to stop marketing, but I want you to be very mindful of the marketing that you're doing. There are essentially two buckets of marketing, two different types of marketing that, that small businesses can engage in. The first is what's referred to as, as brand, mark, brand marketing, where we're just, we're just pushing the brand. So brand marketing examples would be, you know, um, hosting a conference, uh, putting a billboard out on 285, um, anything that just puts our name out in front of the market. Brand marketing can be very effective in, in certain circumstances, just reinforcing this is who we are, this is what we do. The second bucket of marketing is, is, is what's referred to as response marketing. Response marketing, as the name suggests, I do this type of marketing because I want to get a response. And the typical response is a sale. I need a sale. So I'm going to, I'm going to run an ad that says buy one, get one free. I'm going to send out an email uh, suggesting a 50% off sale. That's response marketing. I'm looking to try to elicit a response from my, from my buyers, from my market. So with all that said, what I want to suggest is shifting your marketing from maybe, maybe usually it's 50-50, 50% brand marketing, 50% response marketing. I would shift my marketing over towards more response marketing because let's face it, what we need right now are sales. We need clients. Mm -hmm. So I would shift my marketing towards more response marketing, particularly if I think there's any low-hanging fruit whatsoever in whatever market I'm selling into, I'm going to shift towards more response marketing. And Trace, the last thing I want to emphasize when it comes to marketing is I think in today's world, remember I, we've already talked about very possibly 25% of all small businesses have already gone away. It's projected that 25 more percent of small businesses will go away in the next two to four weeks. Wow. Just amazes me. But it makes sense if you think about what's going on around us. So we're, we're looking at 50% of small businesses going away. It's, it's horrifying. So the question in the mind of many consumers today is, I wonder if Trace is still in business. I wonder if he's going to survive this. So I think in terms of messaging today, the most important message for small companies is to raise your hand and say, I'm here. We're open. We're open for business. We're going to be here thick and thin. We're going to be here in a month. We're going to be here in six months. We're going to be here in 12 months. I think that's the most important message for small business today is just letting the market know that we're open for business, whatever, and, and pick the, the appropriate strategy, the appropriate tactic to communicate that. But that's something I think today, this week, we all need to be doing. 
That's great advice. Uh, we've done a little bit of that uh, from your recommendation. And you're right, clients are very happy to hear that not only you're still around, but you're calling to make sure that they're doing okay. And you're explaining what you're doing to try to keep them safe as you're keeping your employees safe. Tim, yeah. let me ask you this. Is there anything that we should avoid in our marketing during this time? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. A um, couple things come to mind. One is we all have competition, right? We all have another's business, another store, another provider that we compete against. I'm not sure this is the right time to be, and I'm going to say bashing. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure this is the time that I want to be saying anything negative about my competitors in, in any shape or form. And I'm all about competition. You know, you and I both, we love to compete, but in this environment, if anything, I'm looking to partner with my competitors. I certainly don't want to upset them by saying something or, or doing something that would appear to me trying to one up a competitor. So I think I'm going to be really mindful of, of, of that in, in my marketing. Also, I think um, I don't want to overlook that in today's world, some of the most important marketing, you know, most of the marketing that we think of is external marketing to our outside customers, our buyers. I think in today's world, just as important is internal marketing. Internal marketing is what we do inside of our company with our employees, the messaging to our employees, maybe even to our vendors, internal marketing. And I don't, I want to make sure we don't lose sight of that, the importance of that, as well as doing uh, external marketing. I also think I want to, I, I want to be very careful about my pricing because I think in, for some businesses, there's an opportunity to gouge yeah. relative to price. You and I have seen that, right? You go to the grocery store and paper towels are now $100 a roll. <laughs> What's up with that? Right. Well, they're just, they're gouging us. And it's, it's simple to see that. And they may get away with it short term, but you and I are taking note of that company. And six months from now, 12 months from now, we're not going to do business with those guys. So while I think there are opportunities for some companies to gouge in their pricing, I'd be very careful of that. Tim, if a customer calls and they want a discount to help them out, what advice do you have? Mm -hmm. Not unusual. I think that's happening every, every day, whether it's a discount or can you give me more time, you know, right. better credit terms. And I, I think going back to transparency, I think that holds true with our customers as well as help, helping them understand that, you know, we're in this too and we're trying to hang on to our employees and we have families. We're trying to survive this disaster. So I'll work with you because you're a partner. I want you a customer today. I want you a customer a year from now. So it's, it's adopting that, that instead of a transactional mentality, it's more of a, a, a partner mentality that I'll help you if I can now, if that means a slight price decrease. But remember, you and I are gonna be in this long-term. And if this is a one-off, if this is a one-time sale, I'm not sure I'm gonna be as willing to do that. But if you and I are in this together, um, I'm gonna do whatever I can to help you. So I think it's a mindset. I think it's also segmenting your customers and understanding which of your customers are long-term customers, which of them are, are more transactional, where your, your margins lie as well with those customers, and then making informed decisions. 
Tim, earlier you mentioned, I believe it was number two, to hang on to our cash. Is there any situation where we're hanging on to cash we shouldn't be? We should be paying something? Yeah. You know, I heard, um, was it today, that as of, what's today, the 10th of April, one-third of companies had not paid their rent yet for whatever space they have. Um, you know, there, Trace, there's always this balance between trying to hang on to cash, slow down our vendor payments, and yet not negatively impacting that relationship right. that I have with that, that partner, again, whether it's my landlord, it's my, my primary supplier of my goods, my payroll company. And so there's that balance in terms of wanting to ask for a better price, trying to cut a cost and not impairing what I hope to be that long-term, that long-term relationship. But I'll give you one example um, when it comes to insurance, because I know when I was in business early on, I hated paying for insurance. I did. So every time I met with my insurance agent, we'd look at the different coverages and I'd say, well, we really need this. Do we, do we really need that coverage? Do I need that umbrella policy? And I'll never forget, this was 19, I'm dating myself, this was 1991. And I had a, a small business and we were looking at insurance and one of the coverages was something I really don't, didn't know much about. It was called business interruption insurance. And it wasn't costly. It was, it was like a couple hundred dollars. And I remember asking my insurance agent, you know, that, I don't see that I would ever need business interruption insurance. What could ever cause this business like a natural disaster that would cause this business to close? And my insurance agent, to his credit, said, Tim, if you don't take that policy, I can't write the big policy. I'll walk out before I allow you to drop that. I can't allow you to do that. And I said, okay, keep that stupid business interruption policy. <laughs> One year later, Hurricane Andrew, and, and, and you know my experience during Hurricane Andrew, business got wiped out. Had we not had that business interruption insurance, I, I may not be here today to, to share this story. So my, my point is that sometimes it's those little expenses that we think, well, I don't, I don't need to spend that dollar. I wanna be very careful because in some cases, in some cases, that small investment can have a huge return. We just want to be careful and, and listen to the professionals, whether it's an insurance agent, your attorney, your CPA. If he or she says, Tim, we, we better hang on to that expense, I, I should listen to that. Well, to, and now more than ever, we should be talking with those people to make sure we've got the best information to make these decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tim, we, we started off this conversation, I think, as maybe a, a Christmas tree ornament, yeah. and now we've got some tools to make us a, a Super Bowl. So I really appreciate you sharing this. You're welcome. Um, if, if people want to, uh, I can't remember the book that you mentioned. I've read it, but I don't remember the, the name that you mentioned. The book is called Bounce. That's right. And the author is Keith, Keith McFarland. So we'll make sure to put a uh, link so people can find that. Anything else that you recommend reading during this time? I always get my reading list from you. Why shouldn't everybody else? Trace, I take it a step higher and one, just encourage people to be reading. Okay. Well, it's, it's such a stressful time and such a difficult time. I think it's easy to put the reading aside and say, well, that's for another day or it doesn't seem appropriate. I got all these fires going on. Why should I be reading a book? And yet I find for myself, 
that I'm trying to devote at least a little bit of time every day to some type of reading. One, just to nourish this brain that's on fire most of the day and, and, and to continue to sharpen the, the saw, so to speak. So I would, I would encourage your listeners to, to, to find a good book and whether it's a business book or it's a pleasure book, I'm reading now, um, I just finished uh, Patrick Linsoni's newest book. It's called Motive, which was very good. Uh, Marcus Buckingham's book, The Nine Lies About Work. I just finished that a couple weeks ago. Excellent book. Marcus Buckingham used to be at the Gallup organization. And right now I'm reading a book, Dan Heath, one of my favorite author, um, it's, uh, it's called uh, Upstream, hmm. Upstream. And it's really interesting book about how we go about solving problems. And so again, it's just half hour or so a day, I'm allowing myself to divert my, my thinking towards something other than you know, putting out huge fires. Tim, you've been very successful. You've always had a home office since I've known you a lot of people are transitioning to a home office and you just mentioned, you know, make time for things like reading. People are just learning how to do this right now for the first time. What advice do you have to make sure that they have a healthy schedule? Hmm. So a couple of things come to mind. One is, and I'm lucky I've got a, my own room here in my office. And so I'm very deliberate about when I come in this room, I'm working. When I leave this room, I'm not working. I see some people working from the kitchen table, from the dining room table, and that may be the only choice they have. But if there is an opportunity, a, a piece of the house that you can carve out and say, okay, this is my workspace, I would in encourage that. Because it, it, for me, then it, it creates borders, you know, for where I work and, and where, I, where I don't work. Um, the second thing is, and then this is just me the last couple weekends, is I've shut it down on Saturday and Sunday. And not that I have no sh any shortage of work. There's always work to be done. But I just find that I need those two days for the most part to just relieve myself as much as possible from this crisis that we're in. I try to watch as little news as possible on the weekends and, and try to cut back on, on, the, on the work as well. I also have several places around the house that I enjoy going to take a break. I have out in our front yard, my neighbors think I'm a little crazy, I have a bench. And I just go outside and I sit on that bench and that is my, that's just kind of a peaceful place for me to go and just to go out there and think and wave at neighbors and listen to the birds, whatever. So to have some quiet place, some place that you can go that you can't work and that you can, you can just relax maybe for a moment. Well, Tim, I appreciate all the advice that you've shared with us today. Um, we're gonna reconvene on a uh, event with the Mastermind where they can ask questions directly to you. But thank you so much for, for all that you're doing for all businesses. And as always, thanks for everything you do for me. Uh, Trace, you're welcome. And hey, you're doing the heavy lifting. You are the one that's doing so much for your clients, your groups. Uh, they're very fortunate. They really are. Well, I appreciate that, Tim. Scale Up Nation, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, again, I just think so much of that man right there, Tim Fulton. He has been crucial in my success. So it's my hope that some of the things that he shared with us can help you 
get through this unprecedented time and make sure that we make it out hopefully even stronger on the other end. So, so thanks again, Tim. In the very beginning, I mentioned a gratitude journal called the five minute journal. So if you're not doing something to take account for the gratitudes that you have in your life, things that you should be thankful for, I really urge you to get the five-minute journal. Again, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash journal, or you can do it at home on a piece of paper. They've got an app, um, or you can just do something to make sure that you are focusing on the things that are, are important to you. So I, I highly urge that. Also, for those of you that have not seen some of the webinars that we have done, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash webinar, and that will take you straight to that page. We are going to be updating those webinars on a weekly basis. Those are going to come out on Thursdays. And uh, the webinar that you just heard, the actual video version of that will be on that page as well. So I urge you to share that. Again, I'm trying to learn as much as I can so I can help others. And while I'm learning, I am recording those sessions and sharing that with you guys so you can learn right along with me. So by sharing those, you're really helping my mission, trying to be known for somebody who is being helpful during this time and I'm sure the people you share that with will definitely appreciate some of the things that are on there. Some things that are coming up, we've got Mike Iverson, who is going to talk about all the different plans out there. I believe there's four of them. There's the payroll protection plan. There's the uh, emergency uh, economic injury disaster loan. There's uh, a deferral for the employer tax credit. And then I believe there's something for an employee retention credit. So can you do all those together? Can you do one or not the other? Why would you do one and not the other? If we do apply, how do we apply? What do we expect during that application? How long is it going to take? And I'm sure you probably have a dozen more questions. So Mike's going to help answer that for us. And then I also have an individual that's coming on talking about how we take care of ourselves during this time. And I know we're all thinking, how can we take care of others? But let's face it, if we're not taking care of ourselves, there's no gas left in the tank and we are not able to help other people. So we're doing that. Uh, that gentleman's name is Austin Causey. And then we're having Mike Hyam of McGowan Insurance on because I know we have a lot of questions about insurance and you know how what is insurance doing this time and and folks the answer is you know we're going to figure that out together because i don't think he knows the answer until the government actually says something on that but there's so many things around insurance that we have questions during this time mike's been very gracious and he's going to come on and do a webinar with us so maybe we can get some of those questions answered. And I am trying to contact uh, anybody who's an expert in a field that I think can 
answer some questions that you have during this time, and also just help us get through this time better. So if you know somebody out there that you think that I should have on a webinar, please go to scalinguph2o.com and, and drop me a show note, or, or, or excuse me, not a show note, uh, a show uh, request. Um, or show or an idea, I think is actually what it's on the page. And, and then let me know who that person is and uh, what uh, we should be talking to them about. And we will definitely get them on. Folks, above all else, I hope that I inspired you to think about what are the things that you can do that are over and above either what you normally do or what you're doing right now during this pandemic. So you're not only helping yourselves, but you're helping others through this crazy storm. Folks, I appreciate you listening. And I'm, we're going to keep regular shows coming to you uh, every Friday. But I wanted to have a special show just, uh, just to share everybody out there that we're in this together. And we're going to get through this together. Have a great week, folks.